0: Welcome to the latest episode of NSPE Speaks, the only podcast produced especially for professional engineers by the National Society of Professional Engineers. I'm your host, Stacey Ober, Senior Manager of Public Relations and Outreach, and I'm joined by the rest of our great podcasting team. Hello, uh, it's Associate Editor, Danielle Boykin. And Senior Staff Writer and Content Editor, Eva Kaplan-Weiserson. We are hoping to actually add another podcast team member in the coming months, uh, although no one could probably replace Matt. Yeah, uh, of course we'll so not. still miss you, Matt, but <laughs> stay tuned you. for that. <laughs> so I think what the first thing we'll do is go in and talk about some cool NSPE news that's going on, kind of the latest and greatest. As most of our listeners probably know, PECON, which is NSPE's 2017 Professional Engineers Conference, uh, registration is open for that. It is a unique opportunity for P.E.s and those on the path to licensure to connect with like-minded professionals. It's going to be July 19th through the 23rd at the Atlanta Marriott Marquis. We're going to have networking, continued education, leadership, um, and much more. And technical session topics are really cool this time around. We've got stuff on microgrids, energy, disease prevention, future of the profession, kind of branched out past sort of the built Environment into some of these other cool
1: areas autonomous vehicles
0: um, yeah. Flint, Michigan
2: topic of um, that uh, Issues yeah, be... one
1: of the folks that was working on the team
0: that uh, helped uncover all that. So. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome Also, new is and I bit by new. I mean, I think we just put it up this week we have three new advocacy and outreach tools available for um, members and even the general public of take a look at and those include um, our what is a PE document We've got a digital version. We've also got a two-page print version um, that sort of talks about what a professional engineer is, what makes the license stand out. We also have another one, key issues for the professional engineers, and this is a really great leave behind if any of our members are heading up to their local legislators or you know going to talk to some of the agencies in their state. It's a great leave behind to talk about the issues and the threats that professional engineers are facing, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in this episode. And then the last uh, tool that we have is the latest advocacy wins. So these are things that feature our hard-fought efforts to promote the PE and topics and things that are coming up, and we update that throughout the year. So take a look at all of those. We will put the link in the show notes. Um, really excited to have those tools available for our members. They sound really useful. And the last thing that I'm going to mention is the 2017 Professional Engineers Day. I want everybody to mark their calendar for August 2nd of this year. It's going to be our second annual PE day. Hopefully most of our listeners remember uh, the great fun we had last August uh, where we had everybody on social media with the sign saying, you know, I'm a professional engineer because... So we're still going to be doing that. We're going to be putting together some more details, so stay tuned. But you can go ahead and download the new logo uh, from our site to use to promote the event at work or um, even on your social media accounts. Let's go ahead and start getting the word out about that. So we will definitely put that link in the show notes as well.
2: And And we had some really great participation last year. And it really helped to, to figure out what people did because I actually got a great interview uh, out of that, uh, people on the social media, uh, because I was able to interview some PEs that did some sports arena work, and, and so it's always exciting to see what people are doing and promote the PE.
0: Yeah, those pictures are fun to look at, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, we had some some very serious ones, and then we also had um, quite a few humorous ones, <laughs> so uh, we appreciate that. And I think before we get into the meat of this month, or this episode of NSPE Speaks, um, I do kind of want to touch on some advocacy news um, just because that's sort of kind of a lot of going on in that area right now. So briefly, I will run through just a couple of these, and um, you can always find out more information about this on our website. But very recently, NSPE sent a letter to the Office of Personnel Management urging the department to revise its individual occupational requirements for all professional engineering positions. And what this is about is OPM's use of the term professional engineering kind of defines positions that are not professional engineering positions, kind of counterintuitive there. but um, And so it creates uh, substantial confusion about job scope and responsibilities, so NSPE is urging them to stop using the term professional engineering positions and to retitle that classification as engineering positions to kind of eliminate that confusion. Uh, we'll, of course, keep you updated on if we hear back anything. Continuing on with our work in autonomous vehicles, we just put in a recent public comment to the California Department of Motor Vehicles to include major revisions to their proposed autonomous vehicle regulations in order to ensure public safety. You know, NSBE definitely recognizes the, the promise of autonomous vehicles and what they can bring, but we've also been a leading advocate for the need to place public health, safety, and welfare first and therefore requiring a professional engineer to play a key role in the development, testing, and safety certification of autonomous vehicles. And these California proposed regulations did not have that third-party certification included in their regulations, and so that's something that we commented on trying to get them to what we're saying when it comes to that. And then we really started to notice a lot more battles being waged against Occupational licensure and so there's a couple examples recently NSPE and the professional engineers of Oregon are Urging state legislators to oppose a bill that would enable commercial interior designers to engage in the practice of engineering I think it's something like would allow them to Engage in the practice if they have some sort of certificate um, Which obviously as we know is not indicative of the experience that a licensed PE brings the NSP and the Nevada State Society beat back legislation that would erode occupational licensure in the state. We did a joint letter with uh, NSPE President Cody Verhalen and Nevada President Craig Cisco that emphasized the importance of occupational licensure for PEs. And then QBS is also another area that's sort of been under attack, and um, we sent a public comment to the Florida House Oversight Transparency and Administration Subcommittee in opposition to a bill that they were putting forward that would actually completely eliminate QBS and replace it with a, quote, best value selection process. So, and these are just, you know, some of the battles that we've been waging with help from our state societies. Um, Like I mentioned before, there's a much larger national trend towards deregulation and rolling back occupational licensure. And so at the national and state levels, there is a concerted effort to target professional licensure as a barrier to entering the workforce And, you know, NSPE recognizes the seriousness of this threat. And we actually put together an interactive map tracking these developments across all the states. And that's available on our website. Uh, We'll put the link to the map on the show notes. But, um, you know, if you're in a state that maybe we haven't mentioned or you haven't heard anything about, it might be worthwhile to go take a look at that map and see what's going on um, in the states around you and try and be proactive about combating some of these things.
2: Well, it's great to hear all of the great work that uh, we're doing with our state societies, and and we're definitely going to keep everyone informed, whether it's on the podcast, PE Magazine, PE Scope, NSP Update. We have lots of vehicles for you to uh, stay on top of of what we're doing.
0: Definitely. Mm -hmm.
2: And speaking of PE Magazine, the latest features are focused on a very important and critical topic to the professional engineering community. Uh, We done a series of, of articles on various workplace issues as it relates to women and underrepresented um, minorities in the, in the field. Uh, so I guess we'll talk about that. Yeah,
1: we, um, this was a special feature package with all three features kind of working uh, together. And so we had one um, focusing on uh, sexual harassment, one focusing on bias in the engineering workplace, and one focusing on, can Title uh, IX change STEM culture? And unusual to this uh, this issue of P Magazine, all three of those are unlocked online. Usually just the cover feature is, is available to the public. For this one, because they work together and because we wanted to get these messages out there, all three are unlocked, so um, if you haven't read them, go take a look. If you have read them and you want to share, feel free to share those with your colleague and you uh, you can do that. For these articles, we did a survey of NSPE members and we appreciate everyone who helped us and participated. We had more than 550 responses and then some of the people that responded were also willing to talk to us more in depth and most of their experiences we shared um, anonymously using, um, we replaced their names, but it was important to us to not only focus on research that was going on um, and has been going on on these topics but also get experiences from real people and especially PEs and NSPE members. So thanks so much again to everyone who participated and helped us out with that. Uh, We appreciate that. So you want to go into your article first?
2: Since that would, Yeah, you know,
1: mine um, was crossing the line, and it was focusing on sexual harassment. And some, some interesting and um, unfortunate results there as far as the scope of what our members had experienced. When, when we looked at the, the data as far as across the board, about a third of our respondents had witnessed sexual harassment in the engineering workplace, and about 15% had personally experienced it. However, sorted by gender, uh, almost half of the women, 45%, said they had witnessed. And more than half, 52%, said they had experienced sexual harassment at work. So it's something that is a definite issue that, that needs to be looked at and needs to be dealt with. So, and then the, the feature goes on to talk about um, specifics of, of people's experiences as well as some of the um, research that's going on. For instance, the National Academies is, is now doing um, a study and, and ha- is just beginning their work, and that will be uh, released in 2018. An ongoing kind of theme with this is that, you know, some people may say, well, this is not really an issue anymore, you know, it's it's not blatant, but a theme that came up was that it may not be as blatant, but it's, it's an undertone that's still there. And, uh, you know, we have to uh, consider it as something that still needs to be dealt with. Right. And I
2: think um, some of the feedback that we got, particularly from men, just like I said, sexual harassment in general has been a, a big deal since women have entered the workforce. But I think you have some challenges because as we get more women into engineering, there's some men that have kind of said that, you know, how, you know, they're kind of (laughs) squeamish. They're like, what's appropriate to say? There's also generational issues where Mm -hmm. um, what may have been appropriate 30 years ago isn't appropriate now.
1: Yeah, that Um, was something that came up. I'm talking about how this issue has changed over time, how views on what constitutes sexual harassment has changed over time. But an important point uh, that was brought up by the um, the acting director of the Academy's Committee on Women um, in Science, Engineering, and Medicine that's doing this study said, you know, there's been a lot of great work trying to get more women into the profession, but once they get there, you know, they may be discouraged by cultural factors such as sexual harassment, gender uh, harassment, or bullying. Um, so we need to, once we get them in, we need to make sure that um, – they're not experiencing factors that are going to drive them back out. And so that's something that uh, we need to make sure is, is happening. Okay.
3: And,
2: and as we mentioned, we had companion features. Uh, the feature that I worked on was about uh, bias uh, in the workplace, uh, more along the lines of gender and racial. Over the past few decades, there's been efforts, again, to increase the uh, women that are in the field, increase the amount of African-Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, um, Asians in the field. And with that, you know, you, you're know, getting more diversity, but there's still uh, environment issues. Most of the, uh, what my feature covers is a study called Climate Control, Gender and Racial Bias in Engineering. Uh, it's a unique study that uh, actually studies race and gender at the same time. Uh, it was commissioned by the Society of Women Engineers, along with the Center for Work-Life Law, at the University of California, at the Hastings College of Law, uh, and it reveals that women engineers and engineers of color continue to face bias and stereotypes, and this often leads to disadvantages in hiring, pay, promotions, performance evaluations, and mentoring and leadership opportunities. And so, what I did is the uh, engineers, uh, PEs that we that surveyed, we contacted them, and I sort of asked them more questions. Uh, just about what they were experiencing, whether they were seeing bias, whether they experienced it, and to get a little more details about it. But the unique thing about the climate control bias, uh, gender racial bias in engineering study does, is that it outlines four types of bias. Because I think you have a lot of people that know certain things go on, but they don't quite know how it fits or, or yeah. what people are experiencing. That's an interesting
1: framework, yeah. Right,
2: so for one, there's the prove-it-again bias where... Women and and, uh, minority engineers often have to prove or or, Mm -hmm. or have double standards apply to them, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes it kind of tough because they're like, oh, well, I have to jump through these hoops, so we Mm -hmm. think I'm just as good as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also tightrope bias, um, particularly for women, where they can't be too aggressive, too assertive, and and they may have to fit in certain roles, or they're expected to be office manager-type roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's third, which is a maternal wall bias and the flexibility stigma. Uh, Once women are in the workforce, they decide to have children, they leave. There's also issues with that when they try to come back into the workforce or they're expected to play certain roles or you're not working hard enough or (laughs) you're working too much. So there's those issues. And then uh, four, tug of war bias and the boys club, uh, where, you know, you have a predominantly male, white male environment, and there's just there's this club, and, and and either you can break in it, but if you do, you have to act a certain way, and and so those those things are tough. So so it was interesting just to the full study was a, a length, uh, very long, and they had quotes from people. Um, one in particular that stood out to me was there there was a woman that said that you know you have all of these groups. Doing these outreach programs, they want more women, they want more engineers of color, but yet when you get in the workplace, the environment's just not healthy for them. Um, yeah, or not, it's not welcoming. So that's the challenge uh, that that we wanted to point out. But the good thing about the uh, study as well, it also um, pointed out that if you're, you really want to have a welcoming environment, you know, you have to work on the biases in in the environment that. That's in your systems, and so there's hopefully solutions uh, to those issues.
1: So. Yeah, and there was so much information that uh, we couldn't fit in in these articles. Um, Danielle, did you want to talk a little bit?
2: Yeah, um, yeah. For instance, uh, one of uh, I spoke with Joan Williams, who um, sort of led the study. She oversees the the center, and one of the interesting things that she said mm-hmm. is that um, they actually her center actually conducted a study. With lawyers, and she said that that the survey, when you compared to attorneys, professors, on a a positive, women in engineering found that women within the field were more supportive of each other, at -hmm. least Mm -hmm. engineers, because either there's not a a lot of women around, so they're going to kind of support each other, but their problem since be the boys club. Uh, She also said that there was another striking difference. Um, when compared to other professions there seems to be a strong expression of resentment by male engineers Mm. (laughs) that believe that women are actually advantaged in engineering and that they get all the promotions they get better raises and so she says there seems to be a backlash in engineering against some of this talk and focus on bringing more women and she's not a high percentage but when you compare it to other professions like the legal field it it seems to be like this, oh, you're paying too much attention hmm. to these diversity issues. And so she said that that um, surprised her. But like I said, we got a lot of more information than we can put in the articles from the people that we did quote in the articles. Uh, but like I said, once you asked other questions, you had other people. Want to respond to
1: so. yeah, and stay tuned we'll be um, uh, developing some other ways to continue these conversations um, we're not we're not dropping it here one one thing that I couldn't fit in my article uh, was there was a mechanical engineering student uh, female mechanical engineering student at Tennessee Tech University who conducted research into female engineers career satisfaction and factors that play into it, including sexism and sexual harassment. So I spoke with Cassidy Ortman um, for the podcast to follow up a little bit more with her about what she had found, her statistics as far as uh, sexual harassment aligned um, with what we had found. A lot of these numbers come out very similar when you're looking at different studies. Um, They are uh, very similar numbers. So here's the interview that I did with her. Well, thanks for joining me today, Cassidy, to talk about your research, and I appreciate you taking the time to start out. Can you elaborate a little bit on what drove you to research career satisfaction among female engineers and why they leave engineering?
4: Yeah, um, being a female engineer, engineering student right now, I noticed that there wasn't very many other females in my classes, and that just kind of sparked my interest of why, because I know that there are so many females that are capable of doing engineering things, and why they're not interested in engineering was kind of, you know, something that was confusing to me. Um, and also just engineering is historically known to be a predominantly male environment. And so we just wanted to kind of ask other females about their career satisfaction. And it's also has historically high attrition rate. So even the engineers that do make it to the industry, they end up leaving. So we wanted to um, kind of know why why that was. Mm-hmm. Great.
1: And can you elaborate a little bit if there were findings that particularly surprised you or anything that that really stood out to you?
4: Yeah. So, like I said, we sent out a survey on career satisfaction, and we asked questions related to work-life balance, work environment, salary, how late they stay at work, the relationships with their coworkers, things like that. And what we found was that Factors generally associated with career satisfaction, such as income, staying late at work, and other social factors, did not play a significant role in career satisfaction for our participants, which was surprising. But however, once a sense of discrimination was examined alongside those factors, income did become statistically significant Mm -hmm. in career satisfaction. And so we kind of found out that this may help explain why females report having high levels of career satisfaction, yet they experience sexism and discrimination.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And you found that of the 262 women that you spoke with or surveyed, 40% had experienced sexual harassment, 49% had heard inappropriate comments about their appearance, 58% had been the target of sexist comments, but yet 87% were satisfied with their job and 85% were satisfied with their treatment from male coworkers. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and why you think that was?
4: Yeah, so like I said, we had um, a large amount of participants that had experienced um, some kind of sexism or discrimination, and like you had just said, almost 87% were satisfied with their job, and so that was kind of confusing to us, because we were thinking, you know, what is the main factor that is keeping them satisfied, and like I said, what we found out was their income. If they had a, a great enough income, they really didn't care what was going on at work. Hmm.
1: Interesting. And yep. you also you also said um, the findings suggest discriminatory experiences might have normalized in women's experiences and they find satisfaction elsewhere, such as income. Um, talk a little bit about what you mean by um, the experiencing, experiences normalizing.
4: Um, yeah, so we just kind of said that they may, like they're so used to the discrimination going on that it's not significant to them because it's an everyday experience. So mm-hmm. they kind of just tune it out and do their work. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what uh, what future plans
1: do you have with this research? Um, I know uh, you'd, you'd like to publish it. Talk a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, so right now I'm finishing the, the paper that I can hopefully publish in a research journal, and I'm looking at ones, like, on just my school's campus and also a professional journal for engineers. I did – qualitative interviews also that were face-to-face and I have a lot of data from that and I haven't even started doing that one so I may write another paper that suggests the qualitative data and that was um, me interviewing 15 female engineers and asking them questions about their experiences at work and I had some really great feedback from that as well so. Mm -hmm. And Um, is there any
1: that you can highlight at this point?
4: Kind of like what my first research suggested was that a lot of the women are satisfied with their jobs and a good amount of them had experienced discrimination in in different forms. Some of them felt like they, because they were a young female engineer that they just were looked at as being incompetent and being a young female engineer and that the guys didn't really hold them to as much standard as maybe the other men. Um, some of them, got asked to change the way that they dress and some of them had said that it was kind of hard having a conversation in a group with men because they didn't listen to them as much and things like that that's nothing um nothing crazy a lot of them one woman did have an experience that she didn't want to talk about so I'm not really sure what that was but Mm -hmm. it was it was a really good experience to to talk to the women and to really see and hear more more here in actual an actual time that something might have happened mm-hmm.
1: okay and um if there's anything you feel comfortable about sharing has this changed how you have approached your future career or how you've thought about it at all this research
4: yeah I feel like being a female engineer it almost seems like like depressing that I'm getting myself into this field but I don't think of it that way at all I think this is enlightening that all these women have overcome this discrimination and they're still extremely satisfied. And I think that this research can help the younger generation and help, you know, schools start implementing programs when, um, when kids are young to get the girls more involved in things that are hands-on and, uh, more, you know, math and engineering involved so that the girls can understand that engineering is not this scary men only thing, because I think, I think women have a very powerful way of of working in groups with men and that we have a lot of insight that some men, you know, they, they just don't see, see it the same way we do. So I think, I think this is, like I said, empowering and I'm excited for my future in engineering. And I think that this research has definitely, definitely helped that.
1: Great. Well, that's a great place to end. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and, uh, Your uh, more information about the research that you've done, so thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Well, it was really great hearing such a motivated young female engineer. Um, We'll have to link to more information on her research in the show notes. Yep, we'll have that up there.
1: She's got a a paper um, that we can uh, pass along. One more thing on this topic, Um, we've also got an active discussion going on on communities on these articles, Um, so we'll have the link for that in the show notes as well. You can join the conversation and... Take a look. Definitely.
2: One of the positive actions that uh, we hope comes out of our worrisome workplace coverage is that our members will share information about how their firms are creating welcoming workplaces in addition to increasing diversity in the profession. And, you know, there are firms that are are making great strides that, you know, they bring more women in, uh, they bring more underrepresented minorities in, but, you know, like I said, they want to create a good environment for everyone. And so we certainly want to, like I said, keep the conversation going and as well highlight these efforts uh, through future coverage, um, whether it's in PE Magazine, PE Scope, the podcast, and and even on community. So if you know that someone's doing a really good uh, program outreach, you know, we want to hear about that.
1: Podcasts at nspe.org. Yep,
2: exactly. Uh, For example, uh, a few years ago, uh, NSPE member uh, Sergio Picori's firm Uh, Hanson Professional Services, Inc. partnered with the city of Springfield, Illinois to develop a Grow Our Own Minority Participation Program, uh, which helps introduce students of color to STEM fields and provide mentorship and internship opportunities. Uh, We actually uh, wrote up a brief article about that in uh, 2014 in PE Magazine. Uh, So recently I spoke with Kevin Seals, the firm's outreach program leader, to get an update about the program. Uh, so I think we should take a listen to uh, hear about
3: the program. Okay. So, uh, Kevin, thank you for joining me today to discuss Hanson Professional Services, Grow Our Own Outreach Program. Um, first, uh, we'd like to start with just maybe some details about uh, your role with Hanson and this program.
5: Well, sure, thank you, Danielle. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak about our program a little bit. I am the Chief Environmental Scientist with Hansen Professional Services, headquartered here in Springfield, Illinois, and I have been uh, with Hansen for 30 years now. I manage uh, various environmental projects throughout the country that require federal National Environmental Policy Act or NEPA approval. And those projects typically require a a pretty good amount of public involvement activities associated with them.
3: Okay. Uh, Can you share uh, with our listeners uh, when and why Hansen created the Grow Our Own uh, Minority Outreach Program? What was the catalyst for that?
5: Well, we started a large railroad consolidation project about five years ago in Springfield. And uh, again, with me being on the environmental end of a lot of these studies and doing most of the public involvement activities, uh, one of the things that uh, we heard a lot about during our public involvement activities was the fact that we really needed to have more workforce diversity and involvement of of more minorities during the construction of this large rail project. So uh, after hearing this for about a year or so at a lot of these public meetings, we thought, we should really try to do something a little different to increase workforce diversity uh, in the workplace, not only within the engineering firms uh, that were working on the project, but also with the city and then for the the contractors as well that were actually starting to build the project. So we got together with the city of Springfield and the Sangamon County officials to kind of put our heads together and figure out some kind of a program that could could engage uh, students to become more aware of STEM-related activities, uh, primarily in the uh, science and engineering fields. So we decided that we would start this program, and uh, we called it the Grow Our Own Minority Program, which uh, African American uh, minority uh, older woman actually coined the term, which fit very well.
3: And so, what what year did that uh, did that program get started? Was it, you know it's been going on for a few years? Is that correct?
5: Well, yes, we are just now starting our fourth year for this program.
3: All right, and, and like I so said, you spoke with you know connecting with the city. Um, are there any other groups that you work with um, with the program, uh, just to recruit students?
5: Yeah, our our program kind of runs through a a school year uh schedule and we like to have a, a workshop every fall in about October after school's been in session for about a month and we invite basically uh, two two separate groups one one set of group uh is uh, organizations that have a lot of uh uh, activities that the students can get involved with that we can refer students to to uh, again get some STEM related uh, activities and experience under their belt and then the other half of that group are uh, programs that, that that deal with the students such as the schools guidance counselors and various community organizations that will then refer us uh, students uh, through the program we have a, a website with referral forms that they can fill out uh, obviously for all minor students we need to have a legal guardians consent before we participate any student in any activities um, so it's it's become organized and and we get uh... probably about fifty or so uh... referrals every school year for the various programs that we have
3: and how many students do you t- typically take um, in the program once you've gone through you've had the referrals and um, just how did how does that work
5: well we were a little nervous getting involved in this at the beginning because we didn't want to have two or three hundred students try to uh, become involved in the program and we thought if we got that many students we didn't have the staff or the funding available to be able to engage that many students uh, and we didn't want it to be perceived as a failure right from the get-go, so we strived at trying to uh, identify the higher achieving youth, and this is from the middle school through uh, high school aged uh, group. And we again stress the higher level or higher uh, achievers, which are basically your A and B students. And fortunately enough, we have only we started off at about 25 students or so the first year, and we have increased to about. 50 referrals, and that is a size that has been manageable enough for us that we try to get all of the kids involved in some kind of a program throughout the school year. I was just going to state that it's it's not a mandatory program when a, an opportunity comes up for a certain age group or certain gender of student. We send out emails to the parents as well as the student to identify what that particular program is and if they have an interest, then they contact us and we follow through uh, from there. One of our goals uh, for this program is not to have uh, any cost uh, or transportation problems uh, limit a student from being able to uh, attend any kind of program that we offer.
3: Okay. And, and speaking of funding, where does that come from? Is that uh, with the company uh, providing funds, working with the city and your partners?
5: That's correct. In our particular case, uh, it's, it's between Hanson, the city, and the county, and we do a 20000 per year cost share for a total of 60000 per year and then hansen is in charge of administering the program
3: and so i know the program is still fairly young but have you seen any positive feedback return of, you know how effective is the program uh, so far
5: yeah well yes we it has been effective and we've got a lot of community feedback from the program uh, it's being very well perceived from the community uh Just as an example, in the various groups that we work with, there have been high school students that have attended some of our programs that have been so motivated with uh, some of the engineering type programs that they have seen uh, that they have decided to go ahead and major in engineering and science to get their college degrees. We also have a college internship program where Hanson has uh, identified at least three internships for minority students every summer we have to date hired three of those interns now as full-time employees from the program and then we also have an adult type of uh... program where we'll take adults and try to have orientation classes to encourage them to enroll in a local community college for highway careers technical training so that they will be placed into uh... union contractor positions upon their graduation
3: okay. and. Uh, if there's an engineering firm that wants to create a program similar to Grow Out Own, uh, what are some of the key steps or or lessons learned that you think that uh, leadership in that firm should sort of uh, sort of do and just before they get started? I think, yeah, yeah,
5: I think they need to have a desire to try to increase workforce diversity uh, either within their firm or maybe within their community that they live in. Uh, get together with some of the city and county leaders and find out if that is a problem that uh, might be worth striving for. If there is such a desire, um, you might want to partner with other firms in your geographic area to kind of lessen the cost share and some of the administration of tasks and programs as it does take some time to kind of organize the student referrals, uh, identify programs that you might be able to put some of the students into, so uh, obviously with the larger pool of money and resources you'll be able to accommodate more students. Um, I think bringing in some of the community based minority minority organizations within your community as well and getting their feedback on a program and how uh, they might uh, offer to have uh, it it, it kind of uh, molded into something that might work for them as well and give you some feedback on on some of the initial ideas for a program that you might have it would be very very um, beneficial as well. And, again, start small. I think it's very important not to bite off more than you can chew going into something like this. If you can't accommodate all the students you get in the first year or two, I think it could be perceived as a failure by the public. So you want to start off with a smaller program showing high results on student placement and activities, and then let it grow from there based on uh, the amount of uh, uh, time and and staff and and money that you might have to uh, further develop the program.
3: Okay. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for uh, sharing details about the Grow Our Own uh, program, and hopefully uh, the lessons and the things that Hanson has done uh, can help other firms uh, to diversify the talent pool and get more you know, younger people of, of color into the engineering field. So it sounds really exciting to hear about everything. So thank
5: you. Well, it has been. It. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: That's a great interview, Danielle. I really like the the model that they have going, and it sounds like something that even other firms could probably reproduce uh, with some success.
2: Yes, and that's one of the good things about Kevin. Like I said, you know, if someone wants to start their their own program, you know, what's the best way to do that? And so hopefully, uh, we can keep people uh, informed about that, and like I said, hopefully we get more information from other firms because I'm sure there's there are other programs that are going on that that you know would be helpful to our members.
5: Definitely.
1: Yeah. Moving on to our new pop culture segment, another way that folks are uh, reaching out to uh, young students of color and and trying to get them involved in the profession is taking them to screenings of hidden figures. Um, This movie has gotten a lot of buzz, and some of the screenings that have been offered are are being um, promoted and and given to... um, Women, girls, and underrepresented minorities to show them what math, science, engineering is all about and the, the cool things that you can uh, do with them. Um, so it's a great effort.
2: Yeah, it's a great movie. You know, you had some top talent. Uh, definitely, you know, you yeah, had Taraji P. Henson, <laughs> uh, Kevin Costner is in it, you know, Janelle um Octavia Spencer. Who well, I, I mean,
0: did not know could act, by the way. She was yes, <laughs> Oh, yeah. She's, yeah,
2: she's great. And, and so it was like good to see this movie. Um, it was actually based on Margot Lee Shetterly's uh, nonfiction, Hidden Figures, book about black women working as computers in um, Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia, during that space race period. You know, we're trying to compete with the Russians. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I said, you... You know if you you know that women of color, black women have been involved until you see it you, you don't really quite know it's there, and so I think that it was good to highlight that there are a lot of people that played a role, including African American women, yeah, and so important. that was really positive. important to tell
0: these stories, mm-hmm. yeah. especially at the time that you know the movie took place mm-hmm. um, you know to be able to reach back into that history and see what was going on you know in society and to see these these women. You know, doing what they were doing was pretty inspiring
1: yeah one thing that, that really struck me uh, was this quote um, when um, Mary Jackson, Jackson yeah, was, right. was talking to her boss I believe it was who who was an engineer and um, says that she should be one and she said she's not going to entertain the impossible and, and he asked if she was a black man would she wish to be an engineer and she responded she wouldn't have to she'd already be one um, was a black man or white man? I think it was white man. I'm sorry, did I say black man? <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: a man period. So. Right, exactly. Yeah, but actually, she I think she became the first
1: African American aerospace engineer. Mm-hmm. I believe that's... Yep. Um, and she said that the, the only schools that have the programs needed um, for her to become an engineer were off limits to her as a black woman, so one thing that i i wanted to to highlight was that even though there are no longer segregated schools this is an issue that still comes up as far as um, getting the the math and science uh, classes that are necessary to become an engineer um, i did an article about a, a Nesby national society of black engineer effort um, to increase the numbers of black engineers that was in the november december issue of p magazine and one issue that they're working on is um, a lot of schools that are predominantly minority are not offering these um, high-level math and science classes, and so you're kind of cut off right there if, if you don't have the access to those high-level classes, and so they're taking some efforts to um, to work can on. Can you refresh policy. my memory with
0: that article, what are the
1: reasons that those classes aren't being offered in those schools? I believe it's probably financial and, yep. and getting the teachers um, that, that can teach them. They actually didn't go into that in in um, what we talked about here in this article, but the, the uh, statistics as far as the um, numbers of students that only 13% of black 8th graders were proficient in math in 2015, only 5.5% of black 8th graders in 2005 completed calculus five years later. Um, a lot of the black high schools, predominantly black U.S. high schools, don't have advanced placement or honors math classes. I mean, finding finding teachers is a is a is a general problem um, right. to, to teach these classes. And then
2: different localities do have different resources. Someone who who uh, moved around a lot as a military brat, you know, I've been in different school systems, and in some school <laughs> systems have more higher. You know, I actually took calculus, even I tortured myself with it <laughs> in my senior year. Uh, but like I said, I, different locations, depending on their uh, tax base, will. Hey, it will, you know, you'll have different access to, to different programs Right, so they're
1: going to be focusing on some policy efforts or they are focusing on some policy efforts to increase the number of schools offering calculus and they also have other efforts um, along um, with what they're doing uh, summer engineering experience for kids they're, they're ramping up the number of those so that's um, um graduate uh, 10,000 initiative mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, B1 of 10,000 is the official name
2: Right. Since we touched on that, there was actually a part of my uh, Bias in the Workplace article, a sidebar that I wrote about overlooked talent. Uh, there was actually a study commissioned uh, by Nesby and also um, SWE uh, in partnership about Ignore Potential, which focuses on African-American women, since you're talking about hidden figures. Uh, those right. are women, and, and they have different experiences than their male counterparts, but uh, African-American women outnumber their, their male counterparts in pursuing degrees in, in U.S. universities and colleges, so... Uh, but those numbers aren't reflected in engineering. And so this uh, new report they have um, out called Ignore Potential is calling on engineering profession to target African-American women to fill those growing STEM uh, talent gaps. And um, there's several reasons why, you know, in addition to the education issue that you mentioned um, at the secondary level, um, there are several reasons why they aren't choosing engineering as a career option. Part of it's lack of visible role models in universities and in the field. Uh, There's also stereotype threat, also marginalization by the dominant culture, uh, tokenism and isolation within organizations, and pay inequities. And also uh, researchers believe that African American women tend to get lost in programs where it's just a general outreach to women and people of color. So like I said, when you have those programs... Uh, women, you're also including white women in, as well and then your uh, other um, minority groups. Um, so they kind of get lost in it. So that's also an area that that's key.
1: The movie, um, I don't believe it's out in theaters anymore, but uh, I watched it on Fandango now. It's probably hit Netflix soon. Um, take a take a look if you haven't watched it. It's, it's something that uh, I think everybody should see and uh, tells a really important part of history.
2: And it's really inspiring, too. Like I yeah. said, I, I like, especially it invigorates your interest in, in NASA, too, and, and, and just uh, all the interesting things that can be done.
1: Yeah, a neat behind-the-scenes story at, at NASA if you're interested in space and uh, and the space race. Who's not? Really. John Glenn. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, so definitely check out the movie Hidden Figures, but also uh, read the book by Margot Lee Yeah, that's Shetterly. definitely on my
1: list. I'm really interested. Yeah,
2: just because, like I said, the movie's based in the book, so of course there's always going to be a little bit of dramatic license uh, with that, but uh, you'll definitely hear actually more details about other people. That they probably weren't focused on in the movie.
1: The book's always better, anyway.
0: Oh,
2: so. <laughs> it always happens
1: that way. Yes, very few
0: instances is the movie better. <laughs> well, I think that about does it for this episode. We hope to see a lot of you listeners in Atlanta in July. And as always, we welcome your feedback and comments. We would really love to hear from somebody out there. Yes, <laughs> please. You can Contact email us. <laughs> us at podcasts. That's plural podcasts with an s at the end at nspe.org, and uh, we will hope to hear from you soon and look forward to our next podcast. Thanks so much.